Hi, thank you. Uh, Jane Tan with Radio for Asia. Um, uh, Dr. Ketla, can you just confirm that you say U.S. experts are in China now? Are they among the 12 international experts with WHO team? And uh, according to the Chinese uh, Foreign Affairs Office, they say they, the expert team are visiting Beijing, Guangdong, and Sichuan, not the epicenter of Wuhan. Um, do you think we are able to get the full picture of the epidemic? And Dr. Uh, Fauci, um, yesterday you say you trust, you don't think China is forging the number. But we've seen you're on the White House Force uh, Task Force, and we've seen them commenting on China lack of transparency. So why do you trust the information China is providing? Thank you. Well, today, uh, today I I do uh, for the following reason that what has changed in China is that the Chinese officials have been more than adamant about actually punishing. People who are holding back information, whereas early on there was a reluctance and a hesitancy on the part of the scientists to talk about what really is going on there. So there was a phase early on where the people that I knew, people that I've dealt with for years, who were very concerned about speaking out publicly, they would speak to me over the phone, but they wouldn't speak publicly. Now they feel that the government is giving them the free reign to be completely transparent. So there really isn't any discrepancy but what was said at the White House before and now. With regard to the people in China, we're very sensitive to the, to the Chinese wanting to be the ones that make the statements where these people are and where they're going, because we're guests in their country. And although it's an it's an understandable question. Tell me who's there, where they are, and where they're going. We would prefer to have you hear that from the Chinese, because you don't want to get ahead of the Chinese. Because what we don't want to do is for them to pull back on the offer of having our people there. Wow. Okay, that was a lot right there. It's Monday, May the twenty fourth, the year of our Lord, twenty twenty one. Welcome to another episode of The National Pulse. I'm Raheem Kassam, and I'm going to bring in immediately Natalie Winters down the line from New York, New York. Natalie, thank you for joining us here today. Hi, thank you for having me back on. Oh, yeah, because you, know, <laughs> you, really, you have to sell yourself into the show. Um, you found this clip, um, Natalie. Tell us when... It was, it was a busy Sunday night, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. Just you, Dr. Fauci, and... I don't know what else. Did you have any? Did you have any Chinese food at C-span. all? C-span. C-span. No. <laughs> no, just me watching C-span clips at I, double speed. I suppose we're not allowed to call it Chinese food because that's racist. So it's just food, um, just like it's the virus, not the China virus. Um, Natalie, what is this clip? When is this from? Where is this from? And what did we just hear? Sure. So this clip is from February 18th, 2020, and this is Dr. Fauci speaking at the Council on Foreign Relations. They held an event talking about pandemics. Obviously, this was very early uh, in the the phase of the COVID-19, which would eventually become a pandemic. Uh, But it's not an hour-long event. It's him and a a couple other so-called experts talking about various threats the United States faces with regards to infectious disease. And I was really, my, my interest was piqued when I heard Dr. Fauci talking about how he had these private phone calls uh, with these Chinese researchers. And obviously, there are a lot of buried leads in that clip you played talking about mm. how, you know, quote, we're guests 
in, in China and we need to respect their rules with regards to transparency. I would argue that's probably not the best approach to, to bring about transparency from the Chinese Communist Party, which is known to cover up uh, a lot of things with, a, an, a, I would say, unfettered tenacity. But what I think is really interesting is how these remarks play in contrast to what we saw Dr. Fauci say roughly, I think it was probably two weeks ago, so it was like a, a very long two weeks, but uh, when he was talking with Senator Rand Paul, because the, the overall takeaway from that discussion, mm-hmm. that back and forth, uh, was that there's basically no ties between the, the Wuhan Institute of Virology and Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, mm-hmm. which is the agency that he's headed since 1984. For lack of a better term, he basically alleged that there's a, a so-called Chinese wall uh, between the NIAID and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, right? And they could have never funded any, any gain-of-function research program that could have resulted in COVID-19. But that general thesis that, that he posits, which he does ultimately walk back, and of course we can get into the comments that he made since then that, that we covered and seemed to kind of create, create a stir uh, with regards to the whole lab leak theory. Uh, but what was really interesting about those comments where he talks about these private phone calls that he had with these scientists who were scared to really, you know, go against the, the party line, uh, I thought he didn't have any connections to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I thought he didn't have any ties to these Chinese researchers. Uh, ostensibly, the ones who would have known about the outbreak going on would have had some relation, you know, to Wuhan, to potentially the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So I think that just kind of adds to the broader picture which we've been trying to paint for some some time now, right? Pushing out exclusive after exclusive about how Fauci's claims that the NIAID uh, has has no relationship to the Wuhan Institute of Virology or any of these Chinese entities that could have been linked to the origins of COVID nineteen. Uh, that's just an utter and complete lie on on so many counts of it. Well, and that's that's the biggest biggest point of this, and it's the biggest thing that sticks out to me i mean but barring his naivete at the end of that and i don't think it's a it's a it's a real naivete i think it's a a phony fake and duplicitous one about you know the who investigation and the independence and we want this you know we all want to play nice because otherwise they'll just close down and won't tell us anything i mean that's a tell in and of itself but but for park that for a second i think what you've honed in on here is 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 the important takeaway and it goes not just to the heart of, of what we know of Dr. Fauci right now, which is that he is a, 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 a just a manifest liar. But I suppose in the in the parlance of politics, he's a flip flopper. He's perhaps the, the the flippiest and the floppiest that we've seen in a very very long time. His his statements differ from from minute to minute, let alone day to day or week to week. Um, and and it's happened again today, Natalie. I mean yesterday or the day before he comes out and says you know we may need further investigation of the lab leak theory now cbs's weijia zhang says dr fauci tells me his opinion about the origins of covid19 have not changed and he believes it's highly likely that it first occurred naturally before spreading from animal to human and and so every day we see these little lies and these flip-flops and what you've identified here is a major one because he has been out there trying to distance himself from colleagues 
over at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And here he is in a Council of Foreign Relations event saying, hey, by the way, I've had these private phone calls with, with, by the way, Chinese Communist Party researchers. They're not just Chinese researchers, Natalie. Tell the audience about that um, clip you found of them saluting the communist flag and, and all of that. The, the, the Wuhan Institute of Virology hosts, uh, you know, pro-communist uh, propaganda uh, sessions, right? Yeah, and, and that's kind of the other narrative that I think has not really been been told uh, intensely enough or really even accurately about what exactly the Wuhan Institute of Virology is. It's not just some run-of-the-mill, you know, Chinese lab where it mm. happens to be located in China, but they pursue biomedical and biological research for the advancement of humanity and other, you know, euphemistic terms, through and through, this is an arm of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, on the Chinese language version of the site, which if you translate it back into English, they actually have a tab that is titled Party Building. Uh, and in that tab, I mean, there are too, too many pages and too many postings and events for me to, to go through just as one person. But Every, it seems that every single day, and by the way, they're still doing it. I saw, I think about two days ago, they updated another press release where they detail these, I mean, I think the best way to describe them is, is party worshiping ceremonies where right. you see people who, who are affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party, not only the Communist Youth League, a discipline and section committee, they even have a branch on their website of the United Front, which is, of course, the infiltration arm that we report on extensively at the National Pulse, that's the group that seeks to, you know, quote, co-opt and neutralize enemies of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, but they also have researchers who are taking the oath to the Chinese Communist Party. They're initiating new members. Uh, just a you know, typical day at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I saw they actually, I think two weeks ago, they took researchers on a field trip to the Wuhan Revolutionary Museum. Right. And you can see a picture of all the researchers holding their hands up and reciting uh, the, the, I guess, pledge for the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so, again, that's really so concerning, these, too, when you kind of reckon. Yeah. Yeah. These are the people who Fauci <laughs> claims to not know, but is also on record saying he does know. I just want to make that clear because we get into a lot of detail here. There's a lot of names, a lot of institutions, all of that. The, the, the crux of this, and it's up on the site, it's up on the nationalpulse.com right now. We ask everybody to share it, do your part to spread real news. Um, the, the crux of it is this, Natalie that Fauci's up there and to Rand Paul and to the rest of the world now he's saying oh, I didn't know these people you know we don't have anything to do with them we certainly don't you know what was the word you identified in the in the in the statement uh, about the grants by the way approve yeah we certainly don't Francis approve Collins. grants <laughs> in that regard you know as you said interesting use of the word uh, approve in that in that vein but this is effectively what we've caught him doing now is again again, uh, having two faces. Well, I'd also just just add to that real real quick. Yeah. I guess sometimes, at least for me, the, the whole scientific community can be hard to understand, yeah. uh, at least from my perspective. But I think what you're going to start to see happening, and I know you mentioned this uh, a few months back, um, is how it was going to be Peter Doshak and EcoHealth Alliance who would be kind of the first to be sold out and yeah. and extended, which of course, interestingly enough, the Wuhan Institute of Virology has repeatedly revised their website, uh, deleting 
uh, all of their American research partners, which included the National Institutes of Health, and the only one that's left is EcoHealth Alliance. But we put up a story about how uh, researchers who had been funded to the tune of millions of dollars from Fauci's NIAID, how they attended a conference at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the first, the primary tenet uh, of this discussion of this panel that they were guests of honor at to speak about was none other than, quote, gain-of-function research and gene editing, which, again, is directly in contrast and undermines what Dr. Fauci was saying. And I'm not taking credit for it, but interestingly right. enough, literally the day after, the two, two of the professors that we had identified, David Relman and Ralph Barrick, they put out a statement that you may have heard about even in the mainstream media, which was the 18, you know, high top, you know, premier virologists call for an independent investigation into the origins of COVID-19. So I really think what you're starting to see now is a scramble for who's to blame uh, for what happened there, who let this gain-of-function research go awry, or maybe not even necessarily go so wrong, just kind of do what it seems to do when, when you're weaponizing mm. these deadly viruses. But I think that the, the bigger issue here, and this again dovetails with broader themes of just national security threats and, and you know, stuff like that, but the mentality that Fauci speaks about with regards to engaging with the Chinese Communist Party on scientific endeavors and how we can't, you know, we can't push too hard, right? We need transparency. This is the mentality that guides so many, I think, of these researchers who are willing to sell out and do research with China in the first place because they wanted to grant money. They didn't want to bite the hands that feeds them. Mm. And now you're seeing kind of the, the residual impact of that because all these researchers have, have been on the Chinese Communist Party dole conducting this research for so long. Right. Not only do they want to implicate themselves, but they don't want to criticize uh, the regime who's, you know, quite literally given them awards. So it's, it's you know, all the, the stuff that we talk about, whether it's media, academia, uh, Hollywood, the enmeshment of the Chinese Communist Party and the infiltration and the influence, you know, don't think that research and, and scientific communities, which are, again, hosted at these universities yep. that take billions from the Chinese Communist Party are not immune from a similar type of compromise. Natalie, that's astute analysis. I want to get your take on um, Jen Psaki today from the press briefing room. I'm pretty sure you probably haven't yet seen it, but uh, we're going to play the clip right now uh, uh, and we'll get your reaction to it. The origins of COVID, there's a new Wall Street Journal story that three researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology were hospitalized with symptoms consistent with both COVID-19 and common seasonal illness in November of 2019. That's something that is apparently known to U.S. Intel officials. So why isn't President Biden pushing for more access, more information to get to the bottom of exactly what happened? We are. Uh, and we have repeatedly called for the WHO to, to support an expert-driven evaluation of the pandemic's origins that is free from interference or politicization. Now, there were phase one results that came through. Uh, we were not, uh, during that first phase of the investigation, there was not access to data, there was not information provided. Uh, and now we're hopeful that uh, WHO can move into a more transparent, independent phase two investigation. But with 589,920 dead Americans, at what point does President Biden say, we don't want to wait for the WHO. We don't know what they're doing. This needs to be an American-led effort to get to the bottom of what happened. 
Well, first of all, we need access to the underlying data and information in order to have that investigation. And, and why not? But he talks all the time about how he's known President Xi for a long time. So why can't he just call and, and we need and them. Ask him for that information? I think you're misunderstanding how this process actually works. An international investigation led by the World Health Organization is something that we've actually been pressing for for several months in coordination with a range of partners around the world. We need that data. We need that information from the Chinese government. What we can't do, and what I would caution anyone doing, is leaping ahead of an actual international process. We don't have enough data and information to jump to a conclusion at this point in time. So is there any amount of casualties from COVID in this country that would make you want to not wait for an international effort and just do it as well. I, I have to say, I think the family members of the loved ones whose lives have been lost and uh, deserve accurate information data, not the jumping to a conclusion without having the information necessary to conclude what the origins are. What we do share, everyone in this country, is a desire to know how this started, where it started, and prevent it from ever happening again. That's something we all share. Pretty extraordinary, Natalie, um, not least because, of course, the conclusion has already been jumped to. Uh, the conclusion was jumped to almost immediately. That conclusion was provided uh, and sponsored by the Chinese Communist Party. It was taken as a matter of fact by the Democratic Party of the United States, by the never-Trump Republicans, by the mainstream media, the corporate press. Uh, it was taken as a matter of fact by most world leaders uh, that the virus that has killed so many and completely, let's not beat around the bush, completely brought the Western world to its economic knees, came from a bowl of soup. Natalie, there's a lot in that Jen Psaki answer to unpack, but that is obviously the, the most heinous and in-your-face part of her answer, which is, hey, let's not be jumping to any conclusions when these are the people who have been jumping to the Chinese Communist Party's conclusions and dancing to the Chinese Communist Party's tune. I mean, just listening to that, I'm sitting in my hotel room just so so bad because I mean I don't I don't understand if that just results from Jen Psaki not understanding what's going on, which seems like maybe a good possibility. But very very high likelihood of that. Very high likelihood yeah. of that. Go ahead. Yes, uh, that's my conclusion. Occam's razor, I guess. Uh, in this case, yeah. Mm. But uh, no, I I, I mean. I mean, look, I think the, the entity that is most to blame when you talk about the WHO investigation is, is of course, the mainstream media. And as you're seeing this kind of overnight turn into, oh, well, maybe the, the lab leak theory isn't completely conspiracy, isn't totally bogus. Uh, the only reason that these mainstream outlets didn't run with that story or even investigate it and really come to a conclusion uh, which really was just the antithesis of what Trump said, right? Because mm -hmm. when Trump and the Trump administration entertained the fact that COVID-19 could have leaked from a Wuhan lab, it was just much like hydroxychloroquine. It was an automatic 180-degree pivot into, oh, that can't be the case uh, because Trump said it. Right. And and from then and until now, maybe now I'm seeing a little bit of, of shift from some of these mainstream media outlets, uh, they just would, would refuse to look at, at the origins of COVID-19, and they took WHO and what they said as the gold standard, which we've exposed for months, why it's 
it's so not not the case. And I just think it's so so interesting and kind of un- untangling and, and really kind of doing a post I guess not a post mortem since we're still in a pandemic, but just understanding like why is the World Health Organization and specifically the you know natural origin theory why are those the hills that these people keep choosing to die die on? Like the World Health Organization has failed us time and time and time again. I don't understand also too why these journalists, maybe it's just Trump's derangement syndrome, but it's just such an odd affinity, I think, or just bias to have to be in favor of an organization that does nothing but waste our our taxpayer dollars to release, you know, bogus reports. well, it's, yeah, it's beyond look, me. It's 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 odd if you view it through, through the prism of normality. It's it's very not odd. Um, it is very yeah. predictable, um, and we should all expect it when you view this through the prism of. Uh, unfortunately, and and uh, you know, I, I want the audience to understand this, and I want you to understand this as well, Natalie. Is that if if you had asked me. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, hey, do you, do, do you fancy yourself saying the sentence that I'm about to say in 10 or 15 years? I would have said, absolutely not. That's, you know, that's way, way beyond where I'll, I'll go with this. But I am willing to say it now, is that actually what, what everyone is agreed upon in mainstream corporate world, in establishment political world, is that the future philosophy of humankind uh, is a kind of Marxism. That is that is just a fact. It's in the way they operate. It's in the way that they structure their organizations, their institutions, and and of course, it is not the end goal. The end goal for these people, we've as we've discussed before, and we've had some um, uh, chat about and some analysis of, um, is transhumanism, right? And and all of that is a bigger subject for another day. But when you consider it within that framework, of course, it makes sense that what you would do is go to the WHO, the the, the China friendly, the CCP friendly WHO. And here's the thing that you really need to pull out of that uh, Saki uh, exchange with Peter Ducey there. Is she says, we had a phase one investigation from the WHO. She almost says we weren't happy with it, but she, she kind of catches herself. And she goes, mm-hmm. and, and, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then she adds, so what we will do is progress to a phase two. Well, hold on a minute. Phase one was uh, an absolute you know, freak show of an investigation. It was nothing like an independent investigation. Everybody knows it. Everybody slammed it. Everybody was embarrassed by it. So now the group that you hire to do phase one, and it comes back as a nonsense, you hire to do phase two? I mean, this is no wonder, Natalie, that you see on on CNN and on MSNBC all day long, these people hyperventilating about cyber ninjas and the audit in Arizona. How can we trust these firms? These firms had had come to a, a foregone conclu- you know, a conclusion before they even started the investigation, or at least they had a suspicion towards it. Tell me that's not true of Peter effing Dashuk. Okay? That is the exact same thing that's happening with something far, far, far more consequential than the Arizona order. And don't get me wrong, the Arizona order is consequential. But you're talking about, and Peter Ducey laid it out there, you're talking about the lives, the deaths of, of half a million Americans and millions of people around the world. You're talking about the future of science and the scientific community and how trustworthy it is and the integrity it holds. You're talking about all these different things. And they won't 
even treat it the same way as they treat cyber ninjas, Natalie? Well, I just I think it's so interesting. It just kind of hit me. It seems like the the Biden regime and just in general the establishment's MO is that they bring in the people who create the problem to then fix the problem, right? It's the World Health Organization's fault that we have a frankly the Chinese Communist Party's fault mm. uh, that we have a botched you know investigation into the the origins. Uh, who's the person who's shepherding and, and leading our pandemic response? Uh, well, the guy that created the virus. Right. Uh, you know, who, who's the, the regime that's tasked with allegedly confronting the rise of a more belligerent and confrontational Chinese Communist Party? Uh, quite literally, the man whose son helped, you know, fund it and, and a man who worked in uh, the Obama administration, which, you know, constructed and crafted our, our pivot to Asia and really laid the groundwork. Uh, for China to rise in the first place. So I don't know about you, but I, I'm just really tired of, of being told how to, oh, to yeah. live my life uh, and oh, what's yeah. correct from the people who created these problems in the first place. Natalie, who, who, was, who was Dr. Fauci's PR agent during the Ebola crisis? It was Ron Klain. You know, we, we know from Mike McCormick's digging through the through the White House visitor logs that as soon as Klain took up the, the, and this is, by the way, for those that don't know, the chief of staff to the president of the United States now, Ron Klain, they call him the prime minister. Um, this is the guy who made Fauci. He he put him on TV. He made him a, a, a star. And of course, the corporate media just lapped it up. And again, these are the people, the same people who create the problems, who create the crises, who mismanage, and frankly, sometimes I think intentionally do things like that. I'm not saying this is an intentional, the, 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 the COVID-19 thing was an intentional thing by Klain or even by Fauci, but they, but they have willfully mismanaged um, U.S. national health priorities, funding, all of that. We know what a we know what a sham the whole Ebola thing was. We know what a sham Fauci's uh, HIV uh, thing was all those years ago. We've read the. If you haven't read the letter in the Village Voice from all those years ago, go back and read it. These people are frauds. They don't know what's going on. Here's the thing. Okay, Natalie, uh, I, I've got to bounce with you soon, but let me just ask you this. We're not going to do the BLM stuff today. We'll do it another time. But let me just ask you this. Okay. Let me just ask you this. Because this haunts me every single day, and I and I wreck my brains trying to figure out, you know, what the heck is going on here. Okay, on an international basis, trillions of dollars have been spent um, in the uh, in the in the realm of pandemic preparedness, uh, pandemic preparedness for decades and decades, and uh, you know that's that's what NIAID does. Uh, to a large extent, in the inside inside the wider NIH and all these other bio things that you know tech firms consultants government contractors who every single other thing around the world the french the british everyone right am i wrong trillions of dollars yeah you would imagine yeah right so they've spent the, the political corporate science establishment has spent trillions of dollars on all of this stuff infectious disease pandemic preparedness for decades and yet as soon as the virus, as soon as a pandemic hit, a real pandemic hit, what was what? What did they do? There was no, you know, no system sprang into place. 
no, you know, no document sort of just came out of the closet and went, right, we, we've thought about this and, and here's the, here's the document. It's, it's 400 pages long. It tells you what needs to happen in, in various different states, depending on population density. It tells you, you know, what people should be doing in their homes. What we got, what we got immediately was don't wear a mask. Don't worry about travel from China. Uh, come to Chinatown and party with us and, and live your lives as normal. Then, then we got, um, um, yeah, all right, probably, probably wear a mask maybe sometimes. And then we got definitely wear a mask all the time. Then we got double mask. Then we got triple mask. Then we got, okay, wear a mask, but you can still be on a plane, like immediately crushed up next to somebody else. But as long as you're wearing a little paper mask, that's probably fine. Do you see what I'm saying here, Natalie? None of that makes sense. So I want to know where those trillions of dollars really went because they sure as hell didn't go into pandemic preparedness. And it sounds to me like there has been some major malfeasance going on here for decades upon decades. And I think the public wants to know where that money went. Because when a real pandemic hit, the so-called experts were nowhere to be seen. And when they were somewhere to be seen, they were flipping and flopping around all over the place with not a real plan. It took Donald Trump. It took Donald Trump, a reality TV person with no experience with pandemics and criticize him all you like for talking about, you know, injecting bleach or whatever it is, right? He's clearly up there at the press podium just riffing like he does, but whatever. Okay, the media wants to have three weeks of headlines about Donald Trump talking about bleach injection, whatever. It took Donald Trump to shut the borders. It took Donald Trump to assemble the task force. It took Donald Trump to fast track a vaccine. It took Donald Trump to do all of those things. A reality TV star who built buildings in Manhattan has more, uh, you know, disaster preparedness understanding in his little finger than Dr. Fauci and the entirety of the scientific global community. Not just Fauci and the NIH and the NIAID, every single, almost, almost, there have been some good doctors out there saying good things, but almost every single person in that community, Natalie, you, 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 where, where did those trillions of dollars and decades of preparing go? Maybe it went to the big guy. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no well, just, just to add on to that, if I, if I can, yeah. um, I think that a- another way in which you kind of saw these these narratives, right? Whether it's, oh, we need to pour trillions of U.S. taxpayer dollars and you know, dollars from every corner of the earth into pandemic preparedness. Mm. Uh, obviously, I think that didn't work out too well. Uh, but also, I, I'm inclined to think of the crowd, which I would argue is best epitomized by, by Joe Biden, but, but really the, you know, the China hands, the establishment politicians, the Max Baucus types, the John Kerry types, the people who, who told us, again, this is more or less kind of, I guess, just around as I, as I was born, but, you know, mm. decades ago where they said that we need to let China into, you know, the world order. We need to let them join WTO. We need to let them assume a bigger role in the United Nations, which is, of course, the parent organization of the, the, the World Health Organization, and mm-hmm. just really lobbying for China to play a larger role, really, in the world and specifically in, in the economy and, and the, you know, euphemistic rationale was, oh, well, they'd open up, they'd reform, uh, they'd liberalize, we'd get, we'd get transparency. 
But that didn't happen. And I think that COVID-19 and, and the kind of fallout, right, as Fauci details, they weren't being transparent. And, and we know that, right? They were sending doctors who dared to, to blow the whistle when they weren't on the phone call with right. Dr. Fauci. You know, they were sending them to jail. They were making them sign statements at public security bureaus that they were lying and creating social disorders. So I, I really think that this pandemic also disproved, not that we needed any more evidence, but that all, all these people who told us for decades that, you know, a rising China lifts all boats and that empowering the Chinese Communist Party is the right approach for American foreign policy. Well, those people people were also so wrong. If, if you want to know a group of people that, that I want reparations from, it's those people. Mm. It's the people who told us that empowering the Chinese Communist Party, saying that we should, you know, collaborate on scientific research with them. Those are the people the people should be advocating for reparations from. It's the people like the Gates type who spent billions and trillions of dollars on these pandemic preparedness initiatives right. and gain of function research that we should be clawing back the money from. Uh, it's it's absolutely absurd, and as I, you know, at least for my take on this, I never really consider myself, you know, uh, supportive of of big government and just government being able to decide what we do with our lives. But now, more and more, it's not even about government, but the establishment. But more and more each day, as I continue to kind of look into to how deep the these connections weave in between all this and how how wrong they were. Uh, it just makes me so so skeptical and just disillusioned. I think with with our elites and justly so. That's okay because the, you know don't be disillusioned. <laughs> We're on the cusp of winning here. And you said earlier on that you didn't want to take credit for for you know forcing people like Barrack out of their out of their holes. I think you absolutely need to take credit out for of their it. cave. The, the yeah, Batcave. Yeah, the Batcave. <laughs> they are absolutely terrified. And Natalie, they're mostly terrified of you, I can tell you that. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. When are you um, you're giving a speech up there or something? Yes, on Wednesday yeah. at, I believe it's at 6, at the Metropolitan Republican Club. I think tickets are still available. Uh, so yeah, it's about what the only thing I seem to talk about these days, which is the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party and how they have infiltrated every corner of american society well it's so, a better it's a better riveting. beat it's a better beat than taylor swift <laughs> yes <laughs> well make sure Definitely. ladies and gentlemen that you go and check it out if you're in the new york uh, area um make sure you check it out it's what's the group that's hosting it natalie the metropolitan republican club of new york the metropolitan republican club of new york natalie winters will be speaking there wednesday evening natalie thank you for joining us here Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I um, I found a song that I uh, that I wanted to play you that I think is going to be our new Fauci song. I'm going to load it into the board here, so I have it on a hot button. But uh, just uh, before I do that, I want your I want your feedback on this. This is this is the new uh, flip flop Fauci song, as far as I'm concerned. Flip flop, flubba dooba bop, a flubba dooba beep, oh flop. Flip flop, flubba dooba bop, a flubba dooba bop, oh flip. Flip flip flap, flubba dooba bop, flubba dooba beep, oh flop. Flip flap, flubba dooba bop, flubba dooba bop, oh flip. Stille stille stille, pille pille pille, stille stille stille. Flip flap. I'm not sure how much of that I'm allowed to play before the copyright check kicks in. I don't even know what that is, to be fair. I just heard it and I thought, yeah, all right. Flip-flop, Fauci. A flip, 
flap. <laughs> I won't try and do it. Um, okay, we were going to talk about a whole load of other things on the show today, but I realise I'm, I'm, I'm going long already. However, since I touted it this morning on my Telegram channel, uh, sometimes I'll do a, a little voice note on my Telegram channel. So if you uh, want to hear from me some mornings as I'm walking into the war room, that's, uh, I don't even know what the thing is. Uh, it's it's t.me, that's t, the letter t, dot me forward slash Raheem Kassam, or you can just search Raheem Kassam on, um, on Telegram. Uh, sometimes I just do a little voice note on there just to tell you what's going on in the uh, and I know I realize it's a smaller audience than like my Twitter or whatever but I don't know I think it's cool to have to, to kind of diversify in that in that regard and I said this morning that I wanted to talk to people about how people in Washington DC get their news how they how they stay informed um, and and the kind of the tone and the and the people that are behind it. So I'll do that very quickly. I was going to do a much longer thing on it, but I'm going to do it very quickly with you. So for those that don't know, and forgive me if you do know this, and and it sounds patronising, whatever. But there are plenty of people that don't. For those that don't know, one of the one of the most important parts of a uh, you know a Politico's day in Washington D.C. is uh, from the magazine Politico, and that is their playbook. Now, a lot of people receive the playbook in their emails uh, in the mornings. Hill staffers, members of Congress, media types, everyone basically. And there's no point in hiding that. Even as little as we like Politico, they have done an amazing job at infiltrating just about every office in Washington D.C. And just about everybody reads the playbook. Um, I actually listen to the playbook as a as a, on a podcast. I listen to it on two times speed in the morning, so I can get through it in about three and a half minutes. It's only a it's only about a seven minute long thing every morning. But recently, at least semi recently, it was it was taken over by somebody, and it's become absolutely unbearable as something to listen to. But I wanted you, as people who don't probably listen to the Politico playbook, to hear what I have to listen to now. And I want you to kind of internalize some of the words that are used, the tone that is used, and just this will help you understand why people in Washington, D.C., even Republicans, are the way they are. Let's let's get started by playing the uh, opening from today, uh, May 24th, Politico Playbook. Presented by Facebook. It's Monday morning. I'm Olivia Reingold, and this is your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. Uh, I gotta stop it there. Okay, all right. Look, I'm Olivia Rangold, and this is your playbook briefing. Unbearable within the first ten seconds. This is kind of like exam week for President Joe Biden, with two major pieces of legislation hitting self-imposed deadlines. He'll be graded on how well he's able to cobble together bipartisan support for both efforts. The second leg of his infrastructure package and his policing reform bill. But odds of getting Republicans on board for either of those aren't looking great. Let's start with deadline number one, Memorial Day weekend. It might be your cue to wear white again and text that one friend with a grill. But for President Joe Biden, Memorial Day is the last day he said he'd give himself to strike an infrastructure deal with Republicans. To try and meet that target, the Biden administration slashed its initial proposal by more than $500 billion to try and woo Republicans. Okay, is this the slowest and most boring thing you've ever heard? This is is why this city is so just bound to inaction. 
this is what they listen to in the morning. This is the content that they that they uh, consume. Uh, Biden's bipartisan efforts are like super cool. Ah. Bringing the overall price tag down from $2.3 trillion to now $1.7 trillion. Is that meeting still happening today? And can you give us kind of an update on where things stand uh, and any movement that, that may or may not be happening? Sure, um, it is happening. It may be ongoing as we speak. Mid-meeting, as Biden officials were Zooming with Senate Republicans, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the administration was optimistic about the prospects of bipartisanship. And in our view, this is the act, uh, the art, I should say, of seeking common ground. This proposal exhibits a willingness to come down in size, giving on some areas uh, that are important to the president. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been in the proposal. Well, also, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why, Raheem, why are you making us sit through this? Because I have to, and though you have to as well. No, you don't have to. But I think it's important that you understand this. Now, uh, let's move on from my Mean Girls you know, messing with Olivia Rheingold's vocal fry. Uh, let's listen to the the music that they use. Just just internalize that and internalize why at different points in this they use this different type of music. I'll tell you what I'll do, just to be a little bit more forgiving to you. I'll put it on one and a half times speed so that we don't have to sit through another seven minutes of this. Staying firm in areas that are most vital to rebuilding our infrastructure and industries of the future. Coming out of the meeting, Biden officials doubled down on that attitude, saying they were open to compromise, but not on its red lines on how to fund the bill. Senate Republicans like Shelley Moore Capito, the GOP's lead negotiator on the deal, left unimpressed. A spokesperson for her office told us, quote, based on today's meeting, the group seemed further apart after two meetings with the White House staff than they were after one meeting with President Biden. The problems with the counterproposal, according to Capito and other GOP senators, lie in the fine print. Instead of slashing the overall cost, Republican insiders say, Biden is now trying to move costs on things like research and development into other bills, like the Endless Frontier Act, which the Senate will take up later today. The big question now is, will Republicans counter the latest White House offer, going lower than $1.7 trillion. All right. It's very obvious that you, you see when you when she's talking about Biden and bipartisanship and infrastructure and trillions of dollars of spending at the beginning of this, that, by the way, they'll claim this is not intentional. They'll go, ah, we don't even do that. We don't even think about it. Yes, they absolutely do. Okay, these are highly focused, tested things. They spend millions of dollars a year trying to figure all this stuff out. Um, it's the music that's playing under all of that is dun, 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 da, 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 the lovely daffodils are sprouting and now when you have, have her talking about the the GOP and their approach to this and they, how they don't want to spend all of that money it's awkward right that music in the background you heard there is like oh bleh, bleh, bleh. but before Let's Biden gets to Memorial Day he first has to make it to May 25th good to be back you might remember that at his high-profile address to a joint session of Congress last high month, President address. Joe Biden made this plea to the country, but really to Republicans. My fellow Americans, we have to come together to rebuild trust between law enforcement and the people they serve, to root out systemic racism in our criminal justice system, and to enact police reform in George Floyd's name that passed the House already. I know Republicans have their own ideas and are engaged in the very productive discussions with Democrats in the Senate. We need to work together to find a consensus. But let's get it done next month, by the first anniversary of George Floyd's death. Well, tomorrow is May 25th, the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder, oh, and it's murder. all but certain that a police reform bill won't be waiting on Biden's desk tomorrow morning. Last week, Press Secretary Jen Psaki conceded that the administration won't make its original deadline after a reporter pressed her on the timing. 
but the negotiators Ooh, spooky all music are because to make they're, they're not doing enough on BLM. That is a positive sign. Uh, so, you know, we are not going to uh, Ominous. Slow, our, slow our efforts to get this done, but we can also be transparent about the fact that it's going to take a little bit more time. That sometimes that happens and that's okay. By the summer, does the president want this done by the summer? The president wants to sign it to law as quickly as possible. Here's what he'll do instead. The Floyd family is scheduled to visit the White House. Senior Biden staff have been in frequent contact with Hill negotiators, but also say they're giving lawmakers space to work out a compromise. Virtually all parties Politico spoke to, that's White House staff, activists, and lawmakers, say this is NBD, and they're more concerned with producing a substantial bill than a quick one. Meanwhile, the White House has not said if it will set another deadline to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. Ooh. Here's what everyone in D.C. is up to today, starting with the White House. Oh, lovely music again. President Joe Biden and VP oh, Kamala Harris President will receive Joe the Biden. President's That's daily at 9.50 a.m. Eastern. Oh. Then at 1.30 p.m., Biden will receive a briefing on the Atlantic hurricane outlook and how preparation is shaping up at FEMA headquarters. Meanwhile, Harris will host a listening session on the digital divide at 2.15 p.m. in the South Court Auditorium. For the reporters in here, Press Secretary Jen Psaki will brief at noon. Over on Capitol Hill, the Senate will meet at 3 p.m. to take up the Endless Frontier Act, a bill that seeks to make the U.S. more competitive with China by investing in research and technology development. One thing to watch out for is that some progressive lawmakers are calling the bill out for casting the U.S.-China relationship as a, quote, zero-sum economic and military struggle between democracy and authoritarianism. Later at 5.30, the Senate will vote on cloture for Chiquita Brooks-Lisher's nomination as Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Administrator. The House is out. Oh, so nice. One more thing. Don't forget to subscribe to Politico's new show, Playbook Deep Dive. Yeah, we know don't bother doing that. And I get that somebody you some of you will be going. Well, why are you giving them publicity like this? No, believe me, it's this is not publicity for them. This is nothing. This is a huge, huge uh, podcast. It's a huge, huge newsletter that goes out every day. And I just wanted to kind of read those of you who don't follow this stuff into um, the patterns and and how you know an organization like Politico. I mean, you heard it at the beginning there, right? Brought to you by Facebook. Sometimes it's Google. Sometimes it's it's just big tech firms and all that stuff. They, Politico is basically a a corporate, um, you know, interest laundering exercise, um, masquerading as as a news organization. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's why the tone is the way it is. That's why they push certain things the way they do. And uh, I just kind of wanted to read you into that. So I hope that was um, of interest to you. Meanwhile, we continue to go from strength to strength here at the National Pulse because of people like you, supporters, members of ours who have joined by going to fundrealnews.com. That's fundrealnews.com. And I want to give a shout out. I didn't even get to talk about Georgia yet. Dalton on Wednesday, Thursday, where I will be. Arizona, where I was this last weekend for the rally. They say, the mainstream media said, oh, there was a couple of hundred people there. There was like 3,000 odd people there. Fact. I was there. I counted. It was so great to meet so many of you there as well. And I want to say thanks to some of our newest members, like Anna Maria and Haimo and Teresa and Pretty and Mary, Gordon, Elizabeth, Robin, Robin again, different Robin, Beverly, Jeanette, Chevelle, want to say Chevelle, Doreen, Judy, Grace, Gerald, Tammy, Stephanie, Alan, Gilbert, Sam, which is just Sam, Christopher, Ellie or Eli, Oddbjorn, 
That's a cool name. Beverly, Claire, David, John, Kathleen, Richard, Raymond, Frank, David, Stephen, Milda, Kay, Jen, Paul, Sarah, James. The list goes on and on. Thank you so much for supporting Real News. I am literally about to go now and do one of my one-on-one lifetime membership calls. You can get in on that at fundrealnews.com. And I'll see you again later this week.